A podcast network. Hey guys, welcome to Mormon and the Meth Head. I wanted to give a few disclaimers here real quick before we start this episode. Um, all of these episodes last couple weeks and the next couple weeks were recorded in mid-July in Boise when we hadn't seen each other in a couple of months. And so we're a little bit triggered from that, mostly me. And also, this is right in the midst of my kind of duffel bag of feelings experience. I'm much better now. I'm much happier. I have kind of figured out where the controls are. I think if you think back to where you were at in July, you might have had a similar energy going on. But I just wanted to warn you that the next couple of episodes are not at all funny. There's nothing funny. Um, also I didn't even want to put this episode out because there's several things that I say in this episode that aren't true. (laughs) Um, there has been, we're like evolving too fast right now to be living in different states because the shit's coming. We're figuring so many things out that it is not true. Like not, not true. Like I lied, but like. I have learned a lot more. My eyes have been opened quite a bit more. This is the codependency episode that I didn't think we were going to put out, but we don't have enough episodes. And it's also important because this is a a great example of an episode that never would have seen the light of day because it's me being vulnerable. And a big part of the reason that the episodes of me being vulnerable never came out was because I really only ever experienced vulnerability with Aaron. And I talk in this episode about codependency. If you listen to my other podcast, you've already heard me deliver a pretty cool explanation of my codependency and I was in control of that narrative and here's me trying to deliver it in front of Aaron and in front of Aaron, I feel the crushing weight and shame and What's really interesting to go back and edit this episode is this episode gets cut short because I feel like Aaron is attacking me, not attacking me, but like I felt like he hated me when he's talking and this had happened several times in podcasts that you guys never heard and I think this is a symptom of my particular brand of fear of intimacy or codependency and so... Um, we had a million episodes, million, but we had a lot of episodes that ended quickly because I got super triggered and would start crying or whatever. And I'll kind of get into why that is in this episode, but that's what happened in this episode. This was a very hard episode to record. I felt awful and shame, just covered in shame by the end of it. It was very embarrassing. And I, thought he was mad at me by the end of it and now I'm listening now and I'm prepared to run into the part where it's obvious that he was mad at me and now being pretty distant from that particular codependent activation I'm like wow my perception was fucked up I talk sometimes about how when I am feeling socially anxious it feels like the whole room is looking at me through a fisheye lens and I know that that is an illusion and I've learned to like kind of ignore that and I see now that when I am feeling rejected, I have kind of a similar reaction. So I bet there's a bunch of bomb ass episodes that never got to see the light of day because they ended in flames because I felt like 
Aaron was telling the world that he can't stand me. So anyway, I'm fucked up and figuring it out. Enjoy this episode. We will be funny again. We'll see each other, I think, Labor Day weekend. And we'll be sure to be funny on those episodes because I think we're both feeling a lot better. Enjoy the show. Roll some of that beautiful bean footage. (laughs) What? We're in the beautiful bean footage? Isn't there like roll some of that beautiful bean footage is uh, something? (laughs) Bean footage. (laughs) Isn't there... Like a car, uh, a commercial uh-huh. that says, roll some of that beautiful bean footage. <laughs> what? <laughs> what is that? I've heard of, I know what B-roll is. Like, Oh my God, hold on. Do you think, I, I'm really. It's a chili commercial, maybe? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is there an echo in this room? I can't remember. Do I have to be quiet? I think there's a little echo in here, but that's not. Roll some of that beautiful bean footage. Siri's going to be like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Roll that beautiful bean footage. Yeah. <laughs> Is that Bush's baked beans? Yeah. Is that a dog? Yeah. I felt so weird for a second. It was like, is this some type of... Uh, in my mind, you had heard someone say B-roll and you changed that into <laughs> bean footage. I can't make my... Good... Okay. Footage. <laughs> um... <laughs> I don't know why that popped in my head, but that felt like you're listening to Mormon and the Meth Head. Roll some of that beautiful bean footage. If you put a Mormon and a Meth Head together, this is what they sound like. Aaron Woodall and Jessa Reed are friends. Listen to them talking to Mike. One time I went to go see Cars 2. <laughs> and this teenager yelled at me, roll some of that beautiful bean footage. <laughs> Did you ever see Cars 2? No, I don't get the joke. You don't know that meme? No. You don't know the big, this. this. <laughs> oh no, the can of beans. <laughs> I didn't know those Cars 2. It's so like I was in a theater uh, yeah. watching Cars 2 and a black teenager yelled at me. Yeah. <laughs> That's the meme. Uh, you know the word that they say. Yeah. <laughs> you get it. John Mabry would say it. Uh, anyway, the bean meme. The beam. The beam. Uh Jessa, will you be storming Area 51? God. You're telling me that there were funny memes about Area 51? Yeah, the first few days were great. The first few days were fantastic. Once we get hit, over hit like 500,000 people, then uh, the normies took hold of the memes and it got annoying. Uh, and now everyone's just like making fake celebrity Snapchats that they're coming. It's not, it's not as good, you know. Ugh. But I never the- saw any funny ones. I was like, wow, what an instantly unfunny meme format. Really? Yeah. There were so many. There's so. Did you see us about listening to alien music or aliens listening to human music? No. Or uh, I don't get on the. I'm not on social media like I used to be. I don't scroll anymore. It's a a weird thing that I did 
um, over the last six weeks, I was trying to control my compulsive social media behavior. And so I deleted the apps. I put the apps in a secure folder and, uh, it just kind of, I was like, God, scrolling sucks. It just takes up a bunch of your day and you don't. Oh God. Oh. Yeah. I became instantly preachy about it. Jesus. Yes. I can imagine. Oh, you so much better than us because you're not scrolling. Well, that was the joke I made was that I was doing it so that I could be better. But no, it's just better for me. Mm. Inst- yeah. Instagram's doing a thing where it puts the same five posts up at the top all day now. So, like, I don't have the energy to p- scroll through. Facebook used to five be... Five posts? That's like one scroll. You just do one thumb flick and you're down. Yeah. You can't get past I that? I just don't care. Oh, Wow. Wow, you're so you're above it all. You're above it all. Yeah, I don't know what's happening. I don't think there's anything interesting in Area 51, and all the all the meme immediate like now that now we already have ice memes out of like area like people already changed it, but like immediately I thought, oh, are we storming something? Should we maybe storm ice? <laughs> like yeah, detention centers. Uh, I think like when they were up to five hundred thousand, but like we nobody's just take doing the, that. Just we can joke, take the right? White House. Of course, it's a joke, but like still, I think it's good to get the idea in people's heads. Like if we want to, we could storm something. It's possible. I want I us think- to be like the French. Let's just take. We could take the White House with five hundred thousand people. You could take the White House. Did man. the French take the White House? Uh, no, the British did. What's up? War of 1812. <laughs> Anyone remember it? No. Have the I War talked of 1812 about? has come up a lot on this podcast. I, I, I love to bring it up. I love to bring it up. No one talks about that war because we lost it. And so no one will talk about it. But like we got, we didn't just lose that war. We got fucking owned. Fucking owned. That's pretty fantastic. The British, the British, came, you know, what we, we, the British came they they stormed across Maryland, burning everything down, burned down the White House, and then just left. They're like, bye. See you later. Do you know what we got? We got a, the worst national anthem in <laughs> world history. That's all, that's all we got from it. And it's so weird that that's our national anthem. We lost. We lost, and we wrote a song about it, and we sing it all the time. And like there, I think that there are countries that have like that mentality. Like I think uh, Poland sounds like a country that would have an anthem about losing a war. You know, uh, America though is just like always. We're always just like on our own nuts, gassing ourselves up. We never lost anything. We're undefeated in world wars and blah blah blah. And it's weird that our national anthem is uh, is a song about like how the British just bombed our asses all night long. But our raggedy ass flag was still up at the end in the yeah, morning. So we're like, yeah, so you know, moral victory. <laughs> I guess you could say our flag was still standing. The White House is on fire, and you're you're excited that the that the fort's flag is still waving. Give me a break, Francis. Fort Coppola. <laughs> Francis Fort Coppola. Oh my god! <laughs> I might have spaced out there for a minute. <laughs> Francis Fort Coppola. <laughs> oh man, 
So why did you go off social media? Why did you decide to be better than all of us? I was uh, struggling with the breakup. And so I was like, I need a break from social media to stop compulsively flipping through social media. And then in that process, I was like, whoa, I spent a lot. Like when you take it away, this is the thing is that other people talk about taking social media fast and I hate the way they talk about it. So I don't, I'm like, I'm resistant to it. I'm like, fucking social media is fine. And I didn't realize until I put it in a secured folder and had to put in a password how many times I just unconsciously look down and start clicking through it. And it's been a long time since I was engaged. So I don't even think I'm like reading the post half the time. I go from app to app to app. Yeah. Like there's nothing good on Facebook or I've seen everything or there's nothing good. So I'll check Instagram. And then there's nothing. I've seen everything on Instagram because I've been on it all day. So then I'll try Twitter. I'll go to like, I'll go to the search feature on Twitter. Like see what's trending. See if there's anything good. Yeah. Like a few things. And then I'm like bored and I go, I guess I'll try Reddit. <laughs> I, I would do Reddit and then I would go to YouTube. And that's part of, I think why I end up reading so many comments is I'm just running out of things to look at. And then I would check our, like our podcast and our podcast ratings. And then like, it was just, it was a loop. And so half the time I would get on my phone to send somebody a text and then end up in the fucking loop and was like, I became very aware of loops. I became very aware of anything where I was getting stuck. And so every single time I pick up my phone, I go through this entire and the loop just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger because we have multiple uh, Facebook pages and groups and, and fucking Instagram accounts. And uh, then I have multiple podcasts and, and so many things on on YouTube and uh, there came a point where I was like, what is it that I am, what am I looking for? Like, what am I trying to find? And I didn't have an answer to that. Everlasting peace. And I, I feel like I am my happiest when I am busy. Like when I am so busy that I can't see straight is when I'm my happiest. I like to be tired because I'm working so hard. And, um, when I'm looping, I don't, I can't get into that zone. See, I would like to work hard, but I'm just so tired. Yeah. I love it. Like when we were on the road and I don't like to not get enough sleep, but I liked being super, super busy. And we were on the road two weeks out of the month and then we'd come home and there would be a lot to do before you had to get back out on the road and stuff. Like I liked that. But now I'm like very busy. I get up in the morning. I work all day. I go, um, you know, I'm creating content and then I'm like out getting shit done out with the kids. Like I'm busy, busy, busy all day. So from the time I get up to the time I go to bed, I'm moving, moving, moving. And I like that. But I couldn't get to that space. It was like something I intended. Like I want to be busy. I want to work constantly. And um, it's good for my self-esteem. It's when I'm happier. Otherwise there's too much. My brain doesn't fucking stop. And if I'm busy all the time and I'm making things, I'm creating things and I'm moving forward and I'm moving at the speed of Jessa, I'm a more content person. And when I don't have that, I am compulsive. And I've realized that I have like obsessive thoughts and, um, lower self-esteem. And so, I wanted to get, I wanted to get busy, but Isn't you can't do it when you're staring at your fucking phone all day. And it takes me 20 minutes to go through one loop and I got nothing out of it. 
Well, when you're working really busy and so busy that you can't see straight, isn't that still compulsive? It's just a little bit, it's just like a more productive way to use that. But aren't you still? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. This is like so funny that I was like, I'm not an addict. Here's what I'm not. I'm, I am not addicted to substances because I am pretty aware of who I am. And I'm like, okay, if I did speed, I would become addicted. I, someone asked me the other day, do you ever do Adderall? And I'm like, no, I would get addicted to that. I know that about myself. I can do these certain substances. I don't like these other substances, but I have learned that I am mad addict personality. And it's just that I like conquer addictions to certain substances. Like I struggled with food and then I figured it out. And now I'm struggling with compulsive addictive behavior and relationships. And now I'm figuring it out. And, um, I think the part of me that needs to be moving all the time, I do think I figured out a long time ago that the, the addictive personality is kind of a gift though. Like it's my brain is like, um, my brain's a supercomputer. But if you take an addictive personality and give it healthy things to do, it is a really powerful thing. You know, if you if you get it, you reprogram it so it's not self-destructive anymore. So things I know about myself is that I like to plan things. I like to plan things. I like to plan travel. I like to plan trips. I like to figure out moves. I like to figure out, like, I like to be doing that sort of thing. And I learned that, like, if I do that sort of thing, like, that's a, that's a good, healthy thing for my brain to be doing. And I think that's part of the reason that Jason never did anything for himself is because all of that's just good for my brain. So it's like, I'll handle all of the bills. I'll handle every trip we ever do. I'll coordinate everything the kids ever do. I will take care of all of your shit. I will make your resume. I will find you, you know, new places to apply for jobs. Like I just like secretary shit because my brain just doesn't fucking stop. And when I don't have new things to create and build and, and work on, then it starts to get focused on negative things. I also can't have low self-esteem. Like I can't fuck with low self-worth because it's, it'll tear me to shreds in like a month. I can't, I can't give this brain, Hey, you're not pretty. You know what I mean? Like, Hey, have you ever noticed how old your face looks? You know, cause I'll just grind on that. Lose my mind. Yeah. Hmm. And then I'm just Googling, plastic surgery and um looking up people that are prettier than me and see i feel like i do that my mind does that i'm i I think of myself as very anxious i have a lot of anxious thoughts and things that just my mind races and and races through a million different scenarios of how this could all end badly any given you know like the people that walk into a room and are immediately scoping it out for like this is like jason Bourne type person not a real person but a person from a movie like walks in and knows where all the exits are knows where all the weapons are knows blah 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 like sherlock holmes how he plays out all these different things in his mind that's what i do but with like all the different ways that everyone could hate me <laughs> i'm like i walk into a room and i, I can I immediately see everyone take them all in like terminator and think of all the ways they could possibly hate me that's what my mind is good at. But like, yeah. I don't think that I'm compulsive, like in the, uh, like I definitely wouldn't use that word. Cause I don't, I'm, I think I'm bad at getting shit done. Uh, but I do enjoy being busy. 
I never do it though. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but like big sky, I'm happy the week of big sky. Yeah. That's my it's, favorite. It's mindless stuff that like, I'm not that attached to like if big sky goes badly, like I don't care, but they just give me busy work to do and I just stay busy. I'm like, right. Oh, I'm going to drive a van. I'll drive a van. I'll drive it to here and then I'll drive it to there. I'll drive, and I'm just busy all day and it feels good. And like for Big Sky, I coordinate what everyone else does, yep. which is the perfect thing for my brain because it's like a uh, big picture delegating into smaller pictures, but like keeping track of all of those things at once and knowing when everything is supposed to be happening. Like that is where my brain is f- fully busy. Like it's fully consumed with something that's in the physical reality, which is helpful for me because otherwise, I otherwise my brain is doing that with. You know, nah. trying to I decode. I think I the could universe. do that, but I'm way more happier just bullshitting with Gabe and Brick and uh, and letting someone else take care of the big stuff. Yeah, and I'd be like, yeah, I think anyone. I'll go could make do copies. It. But it's like, um, it's helpful for me. I definitely used to think negatively about stuff. I don't know. I found that I was. Um, codependent I don't know if we're gonna get into this in this episode but I found out I was codependent and I didn't know what codependency meant I've heard of like co-alcoholic which is like the enabler oh in recovery I've and, never heard of that um co-alcoholic what a codependency originally was was the person who is in love with the addict or alcoholic that then like takes on a lot of their addiction by enabling them and then I like codependency gets thrown around as like people who never can be apart from each other in relationships. And none of that resonated with who I thought I was. So I didn't realize. And I also didn't realize like what real codependency is. I'm What's tra- real codependency? Because I always thought me and Tabitha were codependent because we didn't really have any other friends. We uh, pretty much just hung out with each other. Like if she did something without me, it made me feel really bad. I couldn't, I couldn't do anything without her either. Like it seemed at the very end of our marriage, I started, and this is when things were rocky and I was learning that we were codependent and that I needed my own alone time. I went and saw a movie by myself and that was like the first time I'd ever done that. Because uh, I couldn't, why would I go see a movie without Tabitha, you know? Why would right. I not? Like a lot of the codependent stuff that I've read about is... Uh, the attachment stuff we've talked about, like a lot of people, because it's like you're avoidant until you get attached and then you become anxious, but it's kind of anxious attachment on steroids in its worst form. And I'm trying to find this chart right here. I'll, I'll read to you the um, progressiveness of this, but it's basically you fall in love, like whatever. It's that very like attached love, physical love right like visceral uh feeling of love that then you like everything goes through this person so like your sense of self-worth is based on what this person thinks of you where's this goddamn chart there are a million different forms of it but i had the worst form of it it really ends up manifesting as acts of addiction. And once I found out that this was what was happening, because I knew that something was wrong, I was I was growing progressively more unhappy in a way that was like 
all these anxiety weekends and trying to figure out attachment system stuff. And no, no matter how much I figured out, it didn't get better. Here's the stages. Fucking page one, apparently. <laughs> all right. So this is stage. This is early stages. Attracted to needy person. Offers help, gifts, meals. Attempts to please the person. Obsessed with the person and his or her behavior. Rationalizes and doubts own perceptions. Addicted. Are to these all I, different steps? These are. This is or? the. This is the progression of it. Okay. All so right. it starts out attracted to needy person. So attracted to needy person. Uh, typically, a codependent, like from this standpoint, is uh, find someone who needs help and try to prove your worth to the person by helping them. So an an example is an addict. Um, I have found out that I have become codependently activated on two of my siblings. One of them was an addict. One of them was an abusive relationship. And I acted out this codependent thing with them because they were in need. Gives up own activities to be with the person. Family and social life affected. Increasingly emotionally dependent on the person. And then middle stage. Um, denies, minimizes painful aspects of relationships. Hides painful aspects of relationships from others. Anxiety, guilt, self-blame increase. Self-esteem lessens. So these are things that were happening like I'm in love with you and I don't like I'm I'm turning into a different person and I don't know what's happening. Right. And I'm like, uh, are you doing something like and I kept saying there feels like there's a siphon in the side of my self-esteem. And it's because I am I'm now um my worth is only what you think of me. And so I'm I'm 24-7 trying to figure out what you think of me and whether or not you love me. Because if you don't love me, I'm not lovable. And I didn't know that I was capable of this. I didn't think that this is who I was. And it turned into this just fucking nightmare. I was just in this nightmare 24-7. There wasn't a, an hour that went by that I wasn't preoccupied trying to figure out what you thought of me. Withdrawals from outside family and friends. I would be home when you'd be in Salt Lake and I couldn't leave my room. Obsessively watches the person and addiction. I would like click through all your social media, even though you don't post. It was just a way to watch you, like to try to be close to you. Um, this is all very embarrassing, by the way. Uh, tries to control by nagging, blaming, and manipulation. Anger and disappointment due to broken... Pro that's an addict thing. Feels resentment at inability to control the person, mood swings, and increased conflict, enables and manages the person's responsibilities. Like, how many times did I try to, like, hides family secret <laughs> from addiction? You know what? Uh. Progression of codependency develops physical symptoms. There was, like, a phase where every time I went home, I got, like, weirdly sick or, like, couldn't walk. My legs would hurt. Feels angry, hopeless, and depressed. Obsessive compulsive behavior and addictions. Further decline in self-esteem. Despair and lack of self-care. Increased conflicts. So by the end, I was, I don't want to say suicidal, but like a shell. It was like a fucking shell. And it didn't get better when you came close. It didn't get better when you became my boyfriend. Like I was in despair. And, you know, it was easy to be like, well, is this because you're deactivated? But I feel like, I feel like if you took codependency out of the picture and we were figuring out attachment systems, like my logical mind would be like, if I, if I believe that this person has a fear of intimacy and he's deactivated, like, why can't I just go be myself and, and let him be fucking deactivated? But I, I couldn't because I, I wasn't 
I was no longer producing for a long time, hadn't been producing my own self-worth. And I was, if you weren't talking to me, then I was unwanted. Um, I was constantly trying to prove my worth. If you were sad, then that meant I failed. And since I failed, like, why would you keep me around? And if you were happy and it didn't have anything to do with me, then it just meant you were leaving because you realized that I was worthless. If you didn't think I was pretty, then I was hideous. I would like go, I was at a Christmas party once that you weren't even at and just like, just like couldn't even socialize because I was just obsessing over how much, how much prettier everyone was at this party and how much you would have liked them so much more than me. And you were even at this party and I don't fucking think like that. I didn't have teeth in my twenties and was just like, fuck it. I got personality. And like, suddenly I just, I hate myself. I hate myself so much and I need you to fix it. And then I, but I had something to project it onto. I just was like, I have to, you have to be in, like, you have to love me. You have to love me. And, um, if you don't love me, then I have to face that there's something wrong with me. And I, uh, I got really gross. I got really gross at the end. And then when you became my boyfriend, I slept all the time. And I, that was something I was like, what the fuck? And I think it was that when you were around, and I didn't, wasn't trying to get you to say you love me. You were like going with it for the moment. I could finally rest. And I wasn't like for the first time in however long I wasn't like flailing to get some self-worth from you or, or like feeling completely unsafe. I could just like sleep finally. And, uh, all my dreams were, about you, you were the last thing I thought about before I went to sleep. The first thing I thought about when I woke up, if you wanted distance, it was because you hated me. And, uh, and I would just pace the floor or like curl up on, I just spent so much time curled up on the floor of my bedroom, just like downloading Kindle books about, uh, like what the fuck was happening to me? Like what, what's going on? Like Googling my symptoms and, um, uh I knew we had to break up I knew I had to get uh distance away from you I was like this will never stop as long as he's around and I'm like looking into changing my neural pathways and and hypnosis and stuff and I just have to like write him out of my mind and then and then it will get better and then we broke up and it it didn't get better like I like I logically accepted the breakup I accepted that we were never going to be together like I I did all this work and it and it didn't it didn't get better I just felt like a heroin addict without heroin and um uh I feel like a shell like this I was like I'm a I'm a I don't remember who Jessa was but I'm not her anymore I don't know who I am but I'm just this shell I'm just this broken shell I'm gonna be broken forever and uh I went to therapy I quit dating I quit having sex it was just like something's fucking wrong with me and I have to fix it and the therapist didn't I would just go in and it, and give like a a weekly accounting of how you felt about me that week and when I made you mad, what? and when I, yeah, like, and she never once was like. But we weren't talking at this point. 
Anyway, no, we were still like in enough contact that I'm like breaking down for her. Like there was just the errand sessions. At no point was she like, there's, what about you? What about you? What do you think? What do you want? Like there was like, at no point was she just like, Aaron, 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 Aaron. And, uh, I felt like I was just catching her up on everything, but, um, then I was watching tarot videos compulsively on YouTube and they were like, there's like codependent energy watching this. And I, um, Googled codependent cause three different tarot readers said that. And I started to find this list of symptoms that matched the symptoms that I had. So essentially, uh, it's, it's like a drug addiction. I don't know. It's like at some point um, my wires got crossed and I stopped. It's basically like the what is love episode and then I just ate my words. Like I became everything that I was thought I was above, you know, because I had a marriage that wasn't codependent. And so I you know, you, th- you, you do something for 10 years and then you think you've mastered it and then you run your fucking mouth and then you eat those words. And, um, but at some point you became a drug, right? Like you became, I stopped doing things for myself. I stopped loving myself. I stopped getting acceptance from myself and I became fixated on the idea that I needed the acceptance from you. Otherwise I was worthless. A bunch of stuff I didn't even realize. Like, now I can look back and be like, oh, what a fucking crazy thing to think right there. What a crazy thing to do right there. But I didn't. Something you said a long time ago. I did love you. I did try to fix it. Uh, But it didn't matter what I did. Yeah. Like, you never. Because you can't uh, love me enough. I have to love myself. And I don't know what happened to make me fall out of love with myself well I do I don't think I loved what was it I think some of my self-love I think it was just about finding a more authentic version of myself and so some of my self-love was a defense mechanism some of my self-love was an armor that I wore that protected me from rejection and Um, I knew these things about myself. I knew I had an issue with rejection. I told you that when I first met you, I knew that I kept people to arm's distance. I would say stuff like no one's ever rejected me. I was pretty aware of the fact that it's damn impossible because I don't, I don't put myself out there like that. And I put myself out there pretty quickly with you. And then there was, but I thought you said it first. And so I have a really uncomfortable reaction to being vulnerable and then it being rejected and I used to be someone who wouldn't ask a yes or no question because if you said no I couldn't I couldn't handle the excruciating pain of you saying no not like because I didn't get what I wanted but just because it felt like I'm not wanted here you don't want me here it was humiliating and so my therapist wants me to be nicer to myself because I'm like, I'm a manipulative piece of shit. Sounds like a therapist. And she's like, uh, you couldn't ask for things when you were a kid. You weren't allowed to ask for things. Uh, you got different versions of your primary parents 
and you didn't feel safe. You had multiple parents leave you at different times in your life. And so you got the message that you needed to walk on eggshells, that you were going to get left again at any moment, that nobody wanted you anywhere you went. And then you had a parent that was on drugs and got mad and yelled and you weren't allowed to make facial expressions and you weren't allowed to ask why. And so you just learned to get your needs met by manipulating. And at some point got triggered back into that behavior because you were trying to get a need met. And, um, I don't know. I don't know. I was in love for sure, I guess. I don't know. But like, uh, well, yeah, but there were lots of times where I'm like, what am I chasing? Like, what am I, what is it that I'm trying to get? And I would feel myself like move the line for you. Like as you started to, to come forward and then I would be like, well, that didn't fix it. How about this? And then, you know, I started to think like, why isn't anything he does good enough? Why am I still not happy? Why am I still curled up on the floor? Why do I still feel so unsafe? I remember at one point being like, I just need somewhere to put my feet. Like, I don't feel safe. And then you did the things, and then I still didn't feel safe. I still felt insanely unwanted, even when there was no evidence that that was the case. And uh, it just progressed into this fucking nightmare until I didn't, until I didn't know who I was. And now uh, I've spent the last six weeks, like, it's hard. I feel like I have to ask myself, like, what's my motive for every single thing I do? What is it that I want? What is it that makes me happy? And... uh when you ask yourself those questions, do you have answers for it? Sometimes, but then I'm like, I don't, I don't know the answer to some of it. I'm like, I don't, I'm alone right now because I have to be alone because I'm terrified of this happening again. And so um, I'm like, well, I'll take a year and I'll just figure it out. And then I see all this other behavior where, uh, I'm constantly trying to, I think I, I think I just developed a personality that is relatively universally likable. And, uh, and then I also developed an armor that doesn't care what anyone thinks. And then I developed, uh, ways to control the, when I was young, I was obsessed with controlling the perception of every single person. I had to control what every single person thought of me. I could not have one person not like me. I couldn't fucking deal with it. And I tried to keep really big bubbles. And I was constantly making up stories to impress people. You say bubbles. What do you mean? Like, I would have a lot of people in my life. Okay. Large groups of people. They're, I'm still, like, driven for... Uh, attention and stuff and I was trying to get my needs met like I was trying to be seen and heard and uh, but I couldn't have anyone think anything negative about me and I couldn't have anyone think that I had any faults and I couldn't you know and it like changed when I died and came back and did drugs and I healed a lot of that and I accepted a lot of my stuff like I did fall in love with myself during this awakening but there were still big 
pieces of this trauma about me when I got clean and I knew I was manipulative and I don't mean like controlling people to do fucked up shit I mean uh the crushing weight of somebody saying no to me was so unbearable that if it was anything that required the slightest bit of vulnerability, I would just talk about it third person. And then if you offered it to me, cool. And if you didn't offer it to me, I would just assume that you didn't want to give it to me. And then nobody has to get hurt. And I would just adapt without it. And I just would never be like, uh, Hey, I love you. I want you in my life. I would never ever say that. I wouldn't ask my boss for a day off if I wasn't positive beyond a shadow of a doubt that the answer would be yes. I would talk in front of him about how I needed this day off and I don't have any idea what I would do. And then if he wanted to offer it to me, he could offer it to me. And if not, then I would just deal without the day off. Like I wouldn't directly ask for it. And then Jason was very direct. And they we kind of compared notes and I was like, sometimes you're direct and it fucks people up because a lot of people are not direct and you know we exchanged communication types and I learned to get better at asking for things that I want and it was years and years and years of trying to become like less manipulative and uh that all came back I mean I think there were phases where I was like I'm doing a good job I'm just telling you what I want I'm telling you that I love you even though uh you know, I'm telling you that I'm in love with you. I'm telling you that uh, I think we belong together. Uh, even when you're like, no, you know, that was all like huge progress for me. But I like ceased to exist. So I don't, I, like, I don't even have a, a great explanation for it. It's still, I can hear it. Like the voice is still there. It's like way less powerful. But I was like going to rearrange my bathroom. And I was like, I wonder if Aaron will like it. Like fucking what? You don't even live in this state. You're gone. You're my ex-boyfriend. And my brain's still like... I don't know. I don't know. A couple other examples of when this has happened uh, that I feel like make a little bit more sense and that I can... It's been a long enough time that I could be like, oh, this is what happened, right? Uh... One of my sisters got addicted to drugs. I was like six months clean. I was the worst. Like I've often said that's the worst of my personality defects running wild and um, very controlling already, very self-righteous. Just early recovery. People kind of suck anyway, but it was not good for me. Is appalling considering I was drinking my pee six months before that. But anyway... <laughs> I I go out and I my sister something about someone in crisis triggers it or plays into it or something. I I already have a problem where I feel like if somebody expresses a problem to me, I feel responsible to fix it. Why do you think that is? I think I'm good at solving problems, but I think I uh I'm probably trying to prove my worth, but I feel I feel overwhelmed by the need to fix it. So now I have hundreds of people in my inboxes talking about their problems and I can never just be like, Hey, sorry, I can't do this. I like, I have to, I have to fix it. If somebody expresses a problem, I can't just be like, yeah, cool. Me too. I like, I have to come up with a solution. 
do you think that it's easier for you to focus on other people's problems than your own? Maybe. I don't know. I feel like I focus on my problems pretty hard. I feel... Uh, do you think that it demonstrates any worth to yourself when you can fix somebody else's problem? Like, I know that you're trying to show your worth to that person, and sh- but, like, do you think that it also uh, makes you feel good to solve problems? Yeah. Yeah, that's a big... I mean, that's a big part of uh, my identity. I'm not... It's probably a spiritual ego also. <laughs> you look like a raccoon. I was like, I forgot I have makeup on. Oh. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I'm an empath. I think I have the ability to help people. You know, I have a, uh, a communication style that uh, helps people put pieces together. But I do get compulsive with it to where... Uh, you know, I turn my friendships into project ships and then I end up feeling unfulfilled, you know, because a point comes where I feel like I need them and then they don't. I have created this. Uh, I learned in codependency book, uh, big dog, little dog dynamic in all of my relationships. And then I when I need the person, they don't know how to be there for me because I created this fucking dynamic. You want to explain that Dr. Seuss uh, dynamic? What is big dog, little dog? Where you become the savior or the uh, advice giver or whatever in your friendships and you don't get your relationships and you don't get vulnerable and let them help you. And uh, you're constantly rescuing the people uh, around you. And then. Well, in my experience with you. Yeah. uh, That was true. Yeah. Uh, I felt like you wouldn't hear anything that I had to say about uh, any problem you had. You didn't see problems that you had. And like you were very uh, eager and willing to fix me and tell me about this and that. And then I, uh, I felt like you were, you were not that I had little problems or anything. I probably had uh, beams as well but like you were focused like you know that scripture about the moat in my eye versus the beam in yours um like i like you you didn't see any of the things that 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 were problematic yeah and i feel like you had a protective self and that is to keep you from your your core issues to protect you from it but your protective self was this this helper and this problem solver and uh, you could solve anybody's problems except for the the ones your protective self was hiding. Yeah. And I, th- I think that, like, you have, there's, like, a desire in you to fix something. And so you're just projecting it outwards, though. Like, you're just pushing it outwards. And that's what becomes compulsive because... Uh, there's this thing on the inside of your armor that needs to get fixed and you'll do anything to not look at it. Right. Anything to not look at it. I feel like you would search out things to go fix. Like you talk about the, the messages in your inbox and stuff, but I feel like it's not like it was just people coming to you. I feel like you, uh, tried to go like you tried to fix stuff. Yeah. And 
Um, I do. I see somebody who's like uh, in pain or whatever, and I'm like, oh, I could connect the dots, and they their life would be better. And that's fine so long as I'm enjoying it, I guess. But um, so my sister starts using drugs. I think this is a good. Oh, go ahead. Um, she's hooked on drugs. I go out and I see her hooked on drugs, and then I'm like, I'm gonna take you back to Delaware now. Everyone jumped in to help me when I got clean, and but I was ready to get clean, so they got you know helped me get a car and my driver's license back and stuff, and it was like money well spent because I was ready. My my much younger sister was not ready, and so I got her a job. She moved in with my dad, which is not her dad, and they gave her a car, and she was going to meetings with me and stuff, and then she started secretly drinking um, behind my back. And she was like, I was running a restaurant and she was showing up late. Like she was fucking up my shit also. She ended up driving that car off a cliff in a drunk driving accident. Tight. But I became so obsessed with my sister and her behavior as like this, like I was her mom, like a very unhealthy attachment to the outcome, which doesn't logically line up with things that I logically know, like logical Jessa, which until very recently, I only identified with logical Jessa. And in this whole process, I'm like, okay, back to this thing I've been saying since I was 14 that I've revisited several times. I think we have more than one voice in our head. I think we have like seven or eight or nine. And because I was having all of these with you as well, like this doesn't line up with I, what I logically believe. I logically believe this. I logically see this. The Jessa who understands how everything works knows exactly what should be happening here. Why am I having this other reaction? So I end up freaking out. I'm preoccupied with her. I can't talk about anything besides her. Very similar to how I got with you, where if somebody asked me about me, I would segue it immediately to you. And that's how I was with my sister. And then we, but I had an excuse, right? Cause she is in crisis. And then we move back to Portland. I kick her out of my house cause she's drinking and I'm like, it's going to make me drink and which fucking it wasn't. And after she leaves, I snap out of it. And within six months, I'm, I'm able to admit to myself that at the core of that behavior, I didn't know it was like a codependent uh, episode, but at the core of that behavior was that if my sister's using, she doesn't want to be my friend. And that at the core of all of that bad behavior on my part, even though it was justified, everyone had my back because she was driving cars off of cliffs and shit, you know? Yeah, it's easy to win that argument. Yeah. I sensed a loss. I sensed a rejection and went into this hyper crazy attachment to her. Later, another sister gets into an abusive relationship with a narcissist who, when he starts coming close, going away, she starts to emotionally check out. She was my best friend. And I realize what this is. I find out what narcissism is and very similar to uh, how I reacted here. I'm like reading a million books about narcissism and, and sending her articles. And you know, she, she's in it. She's in this abusive relationship. So she doesn't want to fucking hear this shit. And I'm trying to rescue her and I can't talk about anything else. I can't think about anything else. He shows up to the house and I'm like, we lived uh, five houses down from each other, but I'm like creeping around 
and stalking. Uh, like I need to save her. I need to save her. And I remember just being like, there's a wolf in the hen house. Like there's somebody in our family that's taking one of us away. Like we have to fix it. We have to fix it. And then he ended up being a fucking nightmare. And I was right, but it wasn't, it was that he was taking her away. Not like if she had gotten in a healthy relationship, we were best friends the whole time she was married. It was fine. It was that she was like checking out, you know? And so I was, I sensed a loss. And then when the loss came, I just started looping. I got very compulsive and crazy. And then once again, that one really damaged our relationship. I thought I called her recently. and was like, I was compulsive. I was uh, codependent when I did that to you. And she was like, I don't even fucking remember that. <laughs> um, I mean, she remembers the relationship, but, um, that just means you were really good at sneaking around. She never saw yeah, you. Yeah, she in the definitely front yard. did see me because I was like, you don't remember me <laughs> stalking outside? And she was like, oh yeah, what a fucking psycho you are. Yeah, get out of my bushes. But same thing. It was like eighteen months, and I didn't talk about anything. Like everyone was so sick of hearing about her and that dude. And I almost fought that dude. I was plotting that dude's death. Like, um. So at the at the root, it is the sad thing is she only managed to kill his cousin. <laughs> Uh, solid callback from the narcissist <laughs> episode. Um, once again, I'm justified though, right? So it's hidden. And, but I did admit to myself within a few months, cause then I snap out of it and then the dude comes back and she ends up confessing to me that he's been secretly living at her house. And I was like, yeah, I guess you just got to figure out what you got to figure out. And she was like, what? And I was like, you'll figure it out. Because I was snapped out of it. It was over. The episode was over. And I don't know what snapped me out of it. But at some point, I just like woke up and moved on with my life. And then when dude was back around and she was like tiptoeing around it with me because she thought I was good. Because I would lose my fucking mind. I was just back to normal me. And I was like, yeah, you'll figure it out. You know, at some point, you'll get sick of his shit. And she was like, what the fuck? And I couldn't. And I remember being like, oh, weird. Uh, and now to look at it as like an episode, like an active addiction that like a piece of me that gets triggered and, um, you're going to leave if I don't save you, if I don't prove my worth, um, I guess, I don't know. Now, why do you think you weren't codependent with Jason? I didn't feel bad. Uh... I know you've said before you thought it was an enmeshed relationship. I think I have certain... I don't think I've ever used that word. What is enmeshed? Oh, I thought you said enmeshed. We talked about it on the phone or something. You were like, I like that the relationship sounded entangled, enmeshed, some word like that. Um, With Jason, I just knew that Jason was never going to leave. There was no part of me ever that was... It's funny because then he did. But... Um, <laughs> I was just, I've never been ever loved anyone that I was positive wasn't going to leave and, or positive that they loved me fully. And so, um, I think this was my first experience where the person actually questioned it, but I've, the other two relationships were with men that were like, no, I love you fucking. And I couldn't believe it. I couldn't accept it. I was like, uh, constantly analyzing um body language and inflection of voice and silence and distance and 
like my brain just won't stop trying to assess whether or not it's safe. And I pushed, you know, one of those away for sure. Dustin like fucked other women. But like, so you didn't do any of that stuff with Jason? No. For at the beginning of the relationship, I thought I didn't love him because there was none of that. I, a matter of, I was like, I don't think I love you because it's not scary. I'm not afraid. I'm not, I don't have butterflies in my stomach. My heart's not racing. My head's not racing. I'm not, I usually have a very like physical reaction to love and it's scary and it's not scary at all. So I don't think I love you. And he was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> and then he broke up with me. And then I did that thing. And he, that's when he was like, you think this is what love is? This, yeah, this? this feeling, this fucking awful feeling. And then I felt like I felt it when he broke up with me because he was going to leave. And so then I got activated, right? And then um, there was some... Some like I did was restless for the first year probably of marriage, like oscillated between being grossed out by him and being paranoid or whatever. But there was a point where I found condoms in the back pocket of his car and like three years in and we weren't using condoms. I was on birth control or something. And I was like, what are these? And he was like, I don't know they're ours, you know, and I know if I can't hear if Jason's lying. Right. And so I'm like, um, I was like upset for an evening and then was like, I don't, who cares? You know, he's not going anywhere. It's like, I was just very safe, just felt safe. And we would go, I'd go on the road and we wouldn't talk. I, we wouldn't talk for 10 days unless something needed to be handled. And we were fine. He took giant, giant chunks of distance. And, Every once in a while, I'd message him and say, are we okay? Because I would kind of get the sensation that um, he was mad or something. Because he's a dick. Like, he's a dick. So when he was, like, OCD activated or whatever. Um, but I was okay. I guess that that's the determining factor, right? Is that I was okay. And my sense of who I was and my worth came from me. It didn't come from him. And... Uh, do I look back now and see some tendencies to manage his entire life for him? Yeah. He loves that shit though. So like, um, it was, it wasn't, I wasn't crossing his boundaries to do it. You know, it wasn't, Oh, what do you think? I see all the facial expressions you're making. There's, I think that the most important thing is that you just said that you felt good. Like yeah. You didn't feel bad. Your self-worth was okay. Yeah. But, uh, I've long hoped for you to re-examine your relationship with Jason because you've told me lots of things that sound uh, incongruent with with the the stuff that you say about yourself. Like you tell me details about the relationship. Like in the beginning when you read that checklist, the progression of codependence, you're right. Like there's some big ones that aren't that they were fine, but like you did manage absolutely everything for him. Right. Uh, you did solve all of his problems. Like you would, if he had uh, a problem like you, uh, yo, I'll solve it. I would say, I would say it's possible you were making a lot of excuses for his shitty behavior, uh, like condoms in the, in the, uh, or, or fucking people while you were pregnant or like all this, like the way that he like just wasn't, 
wasn't fucking there for you and treated you like shit and you just like aren't bothered by it. And it's weird, uh, especially when like I f- was doing this and this and this and this and you were bothered by all of it. Like, it, you know, uh, and uh, but like when you tell me stuff that Jason did, like you just kind of like laugh it off and you're like, ah, you know, he was an asshole. Uh, that sounds like the making excuses for the addict. Uh, yeah. And, and like, you know, whatever. But, uh, I, you know, you told me like, you've told me ways that you would have to tip, not, not exactly tiptoe around, not the same thing as eggshells with your, with your parents or whatever, but like they were, things that he had to have a certain way and you were like, you would make sure that things were like that so that he wouldn't, uh, be upset. And, uh, uh, but you're at, I think, I think the most important part is like you said, like you didn't feel bad. Uh, I, am- I felt loved and I felt wanted and the rest, I just was like, I felt like he made sacrifices for me. I can't name them now, but I felt like, well, he did. He did a lot, but, um, I felt like every relationship I had before him was toxic. And I was like, you can't chip away at the foundation. You can't like bitch about things. You know, I did everything for our babies because like with, with Dustin, I, complained that he wouldn't help me he wouldn't change a diaper he wouldn't make a bottle he wouldn't get up in the middle of the night he wouldn't even fucking watch her so that I could go to the grocery store I had to take her to the grocery store I had to go to grocery store at midnight and so my solution at the end of Dustin was like uh let men fuck other women and then you don't have to worry about getting cheated on and just do everything and accept that you're gonna do everything and then you don't have to go through the pain and conflict of bitching that uh they don't do anything and in my head this felt liberal like I'm in control. Same thing as like, don't call it rape when guys fuck you when you're passed out and you don't have to deal with being a victim of rape. And, uh, you know, it's just this thing I do where I just genius plan. I change the narrative so that I don't have to deal with being the victim. And I thought, I thought I was, I I was happy with Jay. I felt safe. I felt safe and wanted. And the rest of it, I was like, this is just, um, how people are good to each other in relationships. And I think I'm easier to deal with than he is. But I felt like he made a lot of, he did a lot. Uh, he, he let me Jessa our life constantly where I'm like, okay, I know that I made us move across the country, but this isn't either. Can we move back across the country? Can I sell everything we own and move us back across the country? Hey, I know you have to give up custody of your son for me to do that. Like, but I'm sad. Can we do that? Like he did that. Like he was a great husband. Uh, he was also a huge dick and it just, I don't care. Like I didn't care. And, um, it didn't even occur to me till dealing with you that it's weird that I want to like that I run everything and that I've run everything in every relationship I've ever had, like money and stuff like that. Um, it's just busy work and I like busy work, but you know, he and I split up and I stopped handling his finances 18 months after we split up. And, um, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I just didn't, 
I didn't know any of that was codependency. And I'm just now like, I'm picking up a lot of that stuff. And at the core, I'm like, does it matter if there's a partnership between two people and one people, one person doesn't give a fuck and the other person wants to do it? Who cares? Right. In the beginning, it was because I didn't want him touching the money. I wanted separate bank accounts. I wanted separate finances. I didn't like the way he was with money. And then we had to combine this stuff because I was making more money than him. And, um, when we had to combine the finances, I was like, well, I'm going to take care of the finances because I don't trust you. And, um, and then after a while I just took care of everything. And then it was just, he worked 60 hours a week and he made a fuck ton of money and I handle everything else. And it was like a good system. I got to do whatever the fuck I wanted once I had everything handled. And I just didn't, I was happy. I was happy and I felt safe and there was no intimacy. So was I, was I happy and I felt safe because I knew this person wasn't going to go anywhere? Yes. Why was I really safe? Cause I wasn't vulnerable or intimate and, um, that's not the case with you. And, uh, I didn't give giant pieces of myself to Jason because I didn't have them to give to Jason because, uh, I, I couldn't have sex with him. I couldn't let my guard down and have sex with him and I couldn't be soft or gentle with him, which good thing. Cause he sucked at nurturing any of that. And I immediately upon hugging you the first time was like, I want you in my sp Like I don't, I, there was a physical like reaction to you that made me put my guard. I couldn't, I couldn't put my guard up and, uh, and it was terrifying and it was, um, something I felt like I needed to control. I needed to manage. I, I felt like you had pieces of me you could take at any minute and I couldn't stop giving them to you. And I would like obsess over ways to stop being so vulnerable and try to control the power dynamic and whatever. And I couldn't, I was fucking incapable of that with you. And, um, so it spiraled into this whole thing where I needed you to love me. Otherwise I was worthless. And you don't think you controlled the power dynamic at all? Um, I like would like intend to not vomit out how much I love you and adore you and think everything you do is amazing and whatever. Like there were times where I was like, just, just stop saying that stuff. Like, what if you just didn't say that stuff and then he wouldn't have the pressure of carrying it around and you wouldn't feel so fucking dumb all the time. And then I couldn't stop. Like I couldn't. I, I would make it like five minutes. And then if you said anything even slightly self-deprecating, I would have to roll out the fucking scroll of all of the reasons that you're God on earth and the most perfect person I've ever met. And then I would feel like shit. I would feel dumb and exposed and awful. And you would feel weird because, you know, uh, you would be like, well, I don't sit around and fucking like make lists of why you're amazing, you know, uh, because it's weird and then no I mean I I feel like I stated needs and you met you sought to meet those needs but I think uh usual Jessa it's a I wait until you give me something and then I'll give you that much like I I you know I maintain the power dynamic and with you I would just give up all my power constantly like I couldn't stop telling not I'm not saying that you did anything negative but there were a lot of times that I felt like if you just chilled the fuck out 
and like just let things be chill rather than worshiping him you guys might be all right but it's like weird that you do this it's uncomfortable it's uncomfortable for me and it's uncomfortable for you like just you can just think those things about him you don't have to fucking tell him those things constantly and uh I felt like it was so fucking obvious if I was doing something I just thought the other day when you were like I said I'm gonna take a nap and you were like okay I won't call you and then I was like, you were going to call me? And I'm already dealing with this in my head. And I was like, you're taking a nap, Jessa, take a nap. And you were like, take your nap. And that's because for 20 months, you know I wouldn't have taken that fucking nap. I would have like, oh, you want to talk to me? You want to talk to me? Okay, let me let me get on my phone. I'll, I'll call you. Like, I was just like, and then like not okay with myself for being like that. Because then the shame sets in. Because like, uh, you're just making an idiot out of yourself. And he doesn't even like like you like that and uh uh you know I would I hate this episode <laughs> I don't know you were falling asleep <laughs> I uh I remember one of the first things that you were mad at me about <laughs> Uh, I don't think you brought it up right away. I think you later, but like the first Christmas that we knew each other, like uh, I remember you being like, I, I was having a hard time and I texted you and you were like, Oh, sorry. I'm uh, watching a movie with my brother. And I was like, yeah, well I, I was like, I was watching a movie with my brother. We were watching Die Hard. It was Christmas. <laughs> like it was like, you know, we just, just couldn't. And you were like, yeah, well when you, you texted me something and and said like you had a, a a hard day or sad day and I left I left this this party and uh and called you right away and I was like oh yeah well you shouldn't have done that <laughs> like you you could have told me I'm a I'm at a party I can't and I'd be like okay cool <laughs> uh because that that's normal that's that's totally that's that's okay that's absolutely fine um, yeah. Okay, well then let's end it then. <laughs> Perfect. I think we're past an hour, uh, so we can, we can wrap this up and it's over and it's done and we'll start. Burn it? In, yeah. Lose the SD card? <laughs> it's probably not going to get lost. I think I have a feeling that it's going to make the cut, but we can start an, a brand new episode and we'll catch you guys next week on Mormon and the Meth Head. If you put a Mormon and a meth head together, this is what they sound like. Aaron would all and just so read our friends. Listen to them talking to Mike. Mormon and a meth head, Mormon and a meth head, Mormon and a meth head. Starbanks Avenue, a podcast. <clears throat> A podcast network.